this morning I I kind of ran into the same situation I ran into last week, where I, where I wanted to to preach on the, the just the one little prophecy. It's like, well, to understand this, you need to go back, and then oh, you need to go forward to get the whole rest of the thing. So we're kind of going to focus on Isaiah 11:1. But as I got to putting all this together. It kept growing until it's most of chapter 10, all of chapter 11, and then all of chapter 12, even though there's only six verses in chapter 12. So we have a very large text that we're going to go through here this morning, if you'll bear with me. Now, we started a couple weeks ago, we looked at these prophecies in Isaiah chapter 7 and uh, chapter 9, the detail of the coming Messiah. We saw in chapter 7, verse 14, that a virgin would have a son called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. We saw in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 that a child, that that, that child, that son would rule upon the throne of David forever. And uh, now we move on to the third great messianic prophecy in Isaiah, which is chapter 11, verse 1, and then following. This is still the time, although I'm not going to get so much into the history, I will point, this is still the same time period that we've looked at the pre- previous couple weeks. Wicked King Ahaz is on the throne of Judah. He does not serve God. He is not a good king. And so it's a time of darkness and upheaval as uh, the Assyrian Empire is on the rise to the north. The northern kingdom of Israel is going to fall. It's just there's a lot of upheaval that we've, we've looked at the last few weeks. So that brings us to this text. Like I say, as I kept looking, it's like, oh, oh, wow. To talk about this, I need to go back to chapter 10. Oh, well, then you got to get... It just kept growing on me, so I apologize for that. So what I'm going to do is read through this, and I'm going to break it up a little bit. As I was studying it, I ran across an outline uh, from B.H. Carroll that I thought really helps explain what's going on because I'm going to lay a foundation so you can see what's going on, and then we're going to build on top of this. But I want you to understand what it was going. It doesn't do any good if you're if you're preaching or studying, reading, the, you know, like this. If you don't understand what it is, I want you to understand this passage and what's going on, and the scope and the grandeur of these prophecies that are here. The first section that we find there's two great sections, but the first section deals with the exaltation and then humiliation of the kingdom of Assyria. This is chapter number 10, verse number 5 through 27. God is going to use that kingdom of Assyria, this burgeoning world empire, to destroy the northern kingdom of Israel, and then to come down and attack and and really to purge the southern kingdom Uh, and help try to turn them back to him. Each of these sections have five divisions. So there's ten divisions here I'm going to mark. But the first division of the first section uh, concerns the powerful Assyria empire, their, their, their power, their rise, and how God is going to use them to judge his people. So Isaiah 10, verse number 5. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. I will send him against an hypocritical nation. Against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. 
Howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so, but it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. For he saith, Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Calno as Carchemish, is not Hamath as Arpad, is not Samaria as Damascus? Now these are cities that either they had already conquered or were about to conquer. So it's just talking about the power and the expansion that they're seeing. Verse 10, As my hand hath found the kingdoms of the idols, and whose graven images did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? The second division is the judgment that's declared on Assyria. Even though God's going to use Assyria as a tool to inflict His judgment, they're not going to escape judgment uh, because of their pride. Chapter 10, verse number 12. Wherefore it it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed His whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. For he saith, By the strength of my hand I have done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people, and as one gathereth eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth, and there was none that moved the wing, or opened the mouth, or peeped. The third division is God's right to judge Assyria. Chapter 10, verse 15. Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? As if the rod would shake itself against them that lift it up, or as if the staff uh, should lift up itself as if it were no wood. Therefore shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send among his fat ones leanness, and under his glory he shall kindle a burning like a burning of a fire. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame. And it shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. And shall consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body. And they shall be as when a standard bearer fainteth. And the rest of the trees of his forest shall be a few, that a child may write them. The fourth division is the encouragement that God's judgment on uh, uh, is encouragement that God's judgment of Assyria brings to His people. This it gets going to give hope to the people He is going to use Assyria to judge. Verse number twenty, and it shall come to pass in that day. I love that phrase. That day, that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption, even determined in the midst of all the land. The fifth and final division of this first section is God's promise to deliver His people from Assyria as He had delivered them. Think of all the times He pulled Israel out from Egypt, from the hands of the Philistines and the Midianites and all these people that came to afflict them. Well, you kind of get a little bit of a history lesson a little bit in here. Verse number 24, chapter 10. 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger in their destruction. And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him, according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. This gets to the second section. This first section is Assyria is powerful, Assyria is exalted, but then they are defeated. They are humiliated after God has used them to judge Israel. They're defeated. The second situation kind of is a mirror of this and this deals with the humiliation and then exaltation of Israel this is Isaiah 10 28 through the end of chapter number 12 verse number 6 this also has five divisions y'all still with me oh it's a lot here the first division is description of the is, is of the Assyrian invasion and its threat to Jerusalem they're going to be coming down from the north it says, uh, chapter 10, verse 28, He has come to Aeth. He has passed to Migran. At Michmash, I love saying Michmash, that's a fun one. He have laid up his carriages. Like I said, this, these cities, it's, it's describing a march north, kind of from uh, Samaria down towards Jerusalem. That's where all these places are. They are gone over the passage. They have taken up their lodging at Geba. Ramah is afraid. Gibeah of Saul is fled. Lift up thy voice, O daughter of Gallim. Cause it to be heard unto Laish, O poor Anathoth. Madmena is removed. The inhabitants of Gebel gather themselves to flee. As yet shall he remain at Nob that day. He shall shake his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. The second division of the second section is a prophecy about the destruction of the Assyrians. Now, I want you to go ahead and start taking note here because uh, where we're going to end up, I want you to note the imagery in this about chopping down trees, okay? Verse number 33 and 34 is this second division. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, shall lop the bow with terror, and the high ones of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled. He shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one. The third division is the deliverance of Israel by the Messiah. We get to chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse number 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf shall also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. 
And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of an asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. And it shall, or to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Let's get into some very future blessings here. But the fourth division is a description of the regathering of Israel. Chapter 11, verse 11 through 16. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against the, uh, again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign uh, for, for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart. That's talking about the northern kingdom. And the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west. They shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod. And there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. And the fifth and final division is the song of praise that is offered by Israel the people of, of, of the Messiah's kingdom after their deliverance here. Isaiah 12, verse 1. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall he draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee probably the longest I've ever taken time just to get past reading our text. There's a lot there to get into. Two major themes we identified in the two major divisions there. First, we saw the rise and fall of Assyria. And the second, we saw the fall and rise of Israel. There's a beautiful balance or symmetry to, these, to, to this section. I kind of think of it as a seesaw. As the one goes up, the other's going down. There's, there's a balance to it. And if you remember your like second grade science lessons when you have a seesaw, which is a lever, what do you have in the middle on that? Anybody remember what it's called? Fulcrum. Oh, so you got some teachers still around here. What's the fulcrum in this? That's the coming Messiah. It all hinges on the coming Messiah. Israel could not be destroyed from this earth because it was the chosen family from which Christ would come. Satan hates Israel. 
He's tried to destroy this people time after time, whether that's the Egyptians or the Assyrians or the Babylonians or, or the Nazis or some of the people over there right now. Satan has tried time and time and time again. And by the way, go read Revelation. In fact, my dad was teaching from some of this here this morning. He's still going to try. He's still going to try to wipe out God's people. Yet God works through the wrath of Satan to purge his people from their sin and preserving the hope of the Messiah to come. Also, the, the scope of this passage from chapters 10, 11, and 12 is, is just amazing. It's astounding. It's like stepping up and looking at the, the scale and scope of a, a Grand Canyon, a, a giant panoramic view. What you see uh, laid out before us here in the history, uh, the pre-written history, it's prophecy. Prophecy is pre-written history that, that God is laying out before us. It, it is awe-inspiring. I hope you can see and identify and appreciate these great themes. I want to make some observations based off of them about that promise of the Messiah in chapter 11, verse number 1. And in doing so, what I'm going to do is look through here, and for the most part, I'm going to base these on some of the imagery. There's a, there's a, there's a certain imagery or object lesson that's used throughout this, this passage that has to do with chopping down trees. And it has to do, you see the axe, you see trees, you see stumps, you see all, all these different things. And uh, I want us to look at that. That's where I'm going to draw uh, this message from, is from that imagery. The first thing I want you to see is the felling of sinful man. I like the word felling because you know that's what you, you chop down a tree, you fell a tree. It doesn't sound right, but that's the way you're supposed to say it. You fell a tree. But the felling of sinful man. It's a wonderful object lesson. Uh, involving these trees, we see God's judgments likened to an axe chopping down trees. By the way, jump to the New Testament. What did John the Baptist say? Matthew 3.10, and now also the axe is laid into the root of the tree. He uses the exact same picture. But here Isaiah chapter 10, first part of chapter, uh, verse number 15, chapter number 10. Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith, or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? The picture is God, of God's judgment is seen as God using an axe, that's the Assyrian nation, to chop down, that's judgment, a tree. And that's talking about his people, Judah. That, 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 so this picture of judgment is played out here. Specifically here, God is calling out Assyria's pride, that they, uh, they, they could do nothing without God willing or working it. But not only is the Chopping out a tree, a picture here of God's judgment on Israel, but it's also used for God's judgment on Assyria. Verses 18 and 19 of chapter 10. And, and shall consume the glory of his forest and, his, and of his fruitful field, both soul and body, and they shall be as when the standard bearer faineth. And the rest of the trees of his forest shall be few, that a child may ripe them. Uh, I was driving down over, uh, uh, going to mom and dad's house, and right before you get to their house, before you hit that corner there, on the left-hand side, they're clearing out some trees. And you know what they do? They go out there and they put some tape around, the, uh, that marking tape, you know, around the trees they want to save. But they got bulldozers and they're burning off what they're clearing out. That's kind of the picture here, as if people have come in and what once was a densely forested place, 
there's just a few straggling trees left is a picture of God's judgment upon Assyria that they once were mighty, but then they'll be few. Most of the commentators I looked at, they, they say that forest is the Assyrian army, numberless like a great forest until God judged it and left only a handful of survivors. Then you look down at verses 33 and 34 of chapter number 10. Behold the Lord, the Lord of hosts shall lop the bough with terror. The high ones of stature shall be hewn down, cutting down giant magnificent trees. And the haughty shall be humbled. He shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one. There's God's judgment against us here pictured again. It's felling of trees. It's the clearing of forest. It's a consistent and it's a very vivid picture that we see. God's judgment compared to the felling of a tree. It is so when he, uh, when he used Assyria to judge Israel and Judah, and it's so when he judged Assyria. You know, we like to pick and choose which of God's attributes we like to highlight. Many in this world, it's funny how people who aren't Christians seem to know more about being a Christian than people who are Christians. Uh, they said some really strange stuff. Well, they'll say, well, God is love. Yes, God is love. Absolutely. But that's not the only attribute that God has. In fact, I think the primary attribute of God is His holiness. I'm pretty well convinced that is His primary attribute. Akin to His holiness is His justice. Sin must be judged. Galatians 6, 7, Be not saved, God is not marked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It will be judged harshly. Romans 6.23, the wages, the price, the cost of sin is death. And all men, not just talking about Israelites, not just talking about Assyrians, not talking about these people that have been dead for over uh, 2,500 years, but all men are guilty before God. Romans 5.12, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, that's Adam, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. It's a terrible scene that's played out before us. God's judgment is seen as the hewing down of trees. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Must all men be cut down by a holy and a just God? Is there not any hope? Then we get to chapter 11, and I want you to see the sprouting of the Messiah, the sprouting of the Messiah. Israel had been judged of God. They have been chopped down like a tree so that only a stump was left as a memorial. The house of David had been defeated, had been dethroned, also left only as a stump for a memorial. No life remained. Was there no hope for Israel? Was there no honor that God would have for His promises He made to them? Yes, He would still honor those promises. Yes, there was still hope because God is life. He is the giver of life. That lifeless, helpless stump against all hope, against all logic produced a new shoot coming out from it. You know, there's a little bush or a little tree thing. Where are these live oaks? I don't even remember what these things are. I don't know trees. But these things we got planted out out here there's one of them that's right in front of our sign over there. I tried to chop that thing down. I went out there uh, with a sawzall one day. I was doing something else. I, I went out there. I chopped that thing off down right level with the ground. And you know what that stupid thing did? It grew right back. 
I tried to kill it, and it came right back. It's similar to what you see going on in this, where God's judgment came, where there should have been death. Life has returned. Life, hope, returned. The house of David was renewed. Where did it come from? It says it came out out of the stem or, or, or the trunk of Jesse. You may recall that Jesse is the father of King David. You can think about, why did he just say David? It's talking about the house of David, the line of David. It's talking about that messianic, that royal line. Why not say David? Because it points to a humble beginning. Not in a palace, but in the fields of Bethlehem. This rod or this shoot that pops up, uh, you know, I've heard them called suckers, you know, coming off a tree. Uh, well, these things pop, it comes up. It grows into its own branch. Who is this rod and who is this branch? It is Jesus Christ, born 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem in Judea. He is the source of life and hope for all mankind. While all men were sinners before a holy and a just God, Christ knew no sin. While all men are dead in their sins, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. How can we have an escape from the judgment of God upon our sins? Well, Hebrews 2, 3 tells us that there is an escape, that there's a great salvation that we must not neglect. To neglect or reject the great salvation is to have no hope. I may be mixing metaphors a little bit here, if you'll forgive me. I may be connecting some things I don't... I don't think I'm too far off, but the pictures may not be perfect in getting these things together. But as I was thinking about these trees and Christ as the branch and uh, this picture of of a plant, I thought to John 15 where Christ tells His disciples, I am the true vine and my Father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, He taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, He purges that it may bring forth more fruit." Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide. He says, you want life? You have to be with me. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, the men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. I think these are very similar pictures with the same thought. If we are to have life, it is by connecting ourselves to Christ. It is only through Him. Our hope for eternal life, and I'd go beyond that, not just eternal life, but the life more abundantly that he talks about on this earth is to trust fully in that rod out of the stem of Jesse and that branch out of the roots of Jesse that we see here in Isaiah 11, verse 1. Our only hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And it brings me to the third thing. I want us to see the blessing of the Messiah, the blessing of the Messiah. That appearance of the Messiah in this passage, right there in chapter 11, verse number 1, completely shifts the tone of, of, of this passage. Where once was darkness and judgment, now there's light, there's blessing. We, we, we see a day that is yet to come. A fulfillment of the promises of God. The Savior who suffered on the cross 
for our sins, who defeated death with His resurrection, will come again to this earth. No longer meek and lowly, He will rule and reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hey, Christ isn't finished yet. Look down at verse number 10 of chapter 11. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. I think that's my favorite little phrase, those two words, that day. When you read these uh, these prophetical books, the, the writings of the prophets, I love that phrase, that day. Because they're looking beyond their present situation and seeing something to come. They're seeing a day that's far off. It's a great day that is coming. And what will be in that day? In that day, Christ, the root of Jesse, will be exalted above all the earth. In that day, all the peoples of the earth will worship Him and be blessed by Him. In that day, Israel will be regathered and honored. That's basically the rest of chapter 11 there. In that day, the earth will be filled with the praises of God. That's chapter number 12. It has echoes, by the way, uh, chapter 12 has echoes of the song of deliverance, I think, uh, from that Moses and Miriam led the children of Israel in singing after they were delivered from the Red Sea. Uh, it's, I think this is one of those new songs. I love that phrase, new song. Those are songs of deliverance, thanking God for bringing people through times of trouble. And, and uh, I think this is one of those. And it ought to be in the hearts and on the lips of all of God's children. Chapter 12, there's two verses to this song. The first verse, I think, is what God has done for us. And the question I ask you this morning, do you know this for yourself? If you look there at chapter number 12 and you see this very personal expression, can you sing this and say, yeah, that, I can say that and say that honestly. Someone said, someone said uh, Christians are some of the biggest liars in the world because the songs we sing in church, we sing I surrender all and we don't. We sing sweet hour of prayer and we don't. Uh, but can you look at these words? And can these come from your mouth and from your heart? O Lord, I will praise Thee. Thou, though Thou wast angry with me, Thine anger is turned away, and Thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. He's brought me through. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. We like to have our own strength. We like to rely on everybody else's strength, but we need to rely on His strength. Therefore, with joy shall you draw out water out of the wells of salvation. Is there joy? Is there peace in your heart tonight, this morning? Wrong part of the day. Do you have that? I'll tell you how to get it. You need to go back and reconnect with the branch. Go get reconnected with Him. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of peace. The second verse of this song is our praises unto Him. My question this morning is, are you praising Him? It says, praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings. By the way, I like that. It's all about Him. Look what I did. Look what God did. Declare His doings among the people. 
make mention that his name is exalted. What are we living our lives for? To exalt ourselves, to exalt our employer, to exalt our whatever. That blank needs to be our lives or to exalt him, to exalt Christ. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. As musicians come this morning, it's a little bit different kind of a message, I know, but Jesus Christ, the new sprout springing from the stump of Jesse's line, He came the first time. And it's just kind of hinted out here. A lot of this prophecy in chapter 11 deals with the second coming, what he's going to do when he comes again. But Christ, the branch, came. And talking about the images of trees, he died on Calvary's tree. Why did he do that? So that we could have life in him. Most important question we have this morning is do you have that life within you? He is the source of life. I can go out here to one of these little trees and I can break off one of those branches. I actually did that. We had some that were dying. Um, we didn't know what was going on. And I, I went out here and snapped off a branch and I, I took it over to the garden center and showed it to them. I was like, what is this? What's going on? You know what happened to that branch when I snapped it off? It died. It was cut off from life. For it to live, it had to be connected to the tree. It had to be connected to the branch. Friends, it's such a simple illustration, but are you connected to Him this morning for your life, for your hope, for your strength, for your peace? Are you connected to the branch? Do you know Him? What number there, Owen? 139 in the Heavenly Highways. If you want to sing along with the invitation song, if you'll stand, we'll have a short time of invitation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, that's kind of a complicated message, I know. I wish I could compress the, 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 just the, the, the specter, the grandeur of, of this passage down and make it, uh, and make it as simple as I can. I, I don't know that I've done that this morning, but Lord, I marvel at Your greatness in this. I marvel that Christ would come. I marvel that the, of the hope. I marvel that, yes, You are a God of justice, but You're also a God of mercy and grace, and that life can come again even after death and annihilation. Lord, that hope is only in Christ. Let us not forget that, not just for life, the, the, the eternal life and, and a home in heaven, but Lord, a life-giving uh, flow that gets us through our very day-to-day -day life as we walk through this earth. We need to be connected to that branch. Lord, I know it's some very simple imagery here, but Lord, how powerful is this truth that Christ came, that Christ is coming again, that He will rule all things. Lord, we need to be connected to Him. Challenge us, I pray, some simple thoughts, Lord, from a very powerful, very grand portion of Scripture here this morning. Challenge us in this invitation, I pray in Thy holy name. Amen.